Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Today we're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. And I want to begin today by submitting to you two potentially controversial theses. Okay, thesis number one, the modern evangelical church is full of idols. The modern evangelical church is full of idols. Now, that might seem a bit counterintuitive to us since we all show up each week on Sunday to to, to worship God, right? That's why we're here. How could the church be full of idols? But whether it's intentional or not, the things that disciple us become the things we worship. If we're honest about the voices we listen to, the media we consume, and the objects of our thought life, God is often allocated to the periphery of our devotional life. If we're honest with ourselves, we need to admit that often we can more readily recite the plot of our favorite television series than we can the plot of Scripture. If we're not careful, we become more fluent in the language of political ideology than we are fluent in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we fail to guard ourselves, we can give in very easily to spiritual apathy. So the things we pursue most in life become the things that disciple us, and the things that disciple us become the things we worship. Thesis number two. People are not less religious today than they were years ago. Now, again, that may seem somewhat counterintuitive when you see the numbers of people that seem to be leaving the church, the number of churches that are closing their doors. But I don't think people are less religious. I just think people are more honest about their religious allegiances. Many people in our communities, the communities around us, have simply rejected the idea of what they call organized religion. And people think that the alternative to organized religion is spiritual independence, when in fact, the alternative to organized religion is disorganized religion that consists of selfism, self-discipleship, self-worship. So my point with these two concepts is simply this. People both within and outside of the church are confused about what they worship and why they worship. We need to be honest. Sometimes we're simply confused about who we worship. This is something that affects all of us, whether we're we're Christian or not. The tendency to religious self-reliance. So humans are naturally predisposed to worship something, and if we fail to worship and recognize really the holiness and the lordship of the true God of the universe, then our tendency is to turn inward, to self-idolization, to auto-veneration. Just because people aren't worshiping God doesn't mean they aren't worshiping. So as we begin the new year, I would encourage us to ask ourselves, who is the object of our worship? What does it mean to experience true worship? How can we grow as worshipers of God? In order to explore these questions, I want to take you to a rather obscure passage of Scripture this morning. I'm going to warn you that this passage is not going to be uh, found on your, your, your Christian calendar. It's not going to be the verse of the day. 
You won't see this one on Christian t-shirts or Christian coffee mugs. Your children's picture Bibles tend to skip over this story. It's a bit uh, violent, but it is God's word. It is God's word, and here at Bergen Park Church, we believe that the entire counsel of God's word is useful to our faith. So let's turn to Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 24. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, and we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would instruct us, open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts, that we might know you better. Guide us in this study, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we need to understand that this isn't just a, a gruesome story of death and gore, okay? This is not just a story about destroying angels and uh, flesh-eating worms and things of that nature. This really is a story about the idolatry of self-worship, and it's here for our edification. So, understand that the, the Apostle Luke wrote the book that bears his name, the gospel that bears his name, and he also wrote this book, the book of Acts. Taken together, these books are intended as a kind of apologia, a defense of the faith, an explanation, an eyewitness account of the work of Jesus Christ and the acts of the apostles in the first century as they proclaimed the gospel. Okay, this is here to convince the skeptic and to edify the believer. So Luke is not just telling us a bunch of disconnected stories here. He's offering us a, a description of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of ordinary people. So this narrative is communicating theological truth. And as it does this, it's asking us to examine our hearts so that we can grow in right relationship to God. Now, I want you to notice the contrast that is made in this passage. Verses 20 through 23 speak of how pride, how misplaced worship lead to decay of the soul. In contrast, however, verse 24 speaks of how God's grace generates and precipitates spiritual flourishing and growth. So really the contrast is between death and life. It's a story about worship. Herod is not the main character of the story. Keep that in mind. Herod is not the main character. God is the main character of the story. Verse 24 is key. The word of God increased and multiplied. The pride of self-worship destroys, but the gospel brings life. 
So let's think about this as we dig into the text. Now, the first thing to notice in this passage is that misplaced worship leads to pride and is itself pride. Herod had a lot of pride. Now, Herod was the Roman-appointed ruler of the Palestinian territory, Judea, Galilee, that kind of thing. And the Herod we're talking about here is Herod Agrippa. And we need to get our Herods straight here because there are numerous Herods mentioned in Scripture. Herod Agrippa is our Herod of the day here. Now, his grandfather, Herod the Great, was the one who oversaw the reconstruction and remodeling of, of the temple in Jerusalem. Herod the Great is the one we read about in the Christmas story who put to death the baby boys of Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2. His uncle was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the one we read about in the Gospels, the one who put to death John the Baptist, the one who oversaw the trial of Jesus. And so the Herods of the Bible have a long history of antagonism toward Jesus and his followers. And now we come to Herod Agrippa, who's followed in the family footsteps of persecuting the church. And if you go back and look at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, and we're not going to read this today, but if you have some time, read the beginning of, of Acts chapter 12 at some point, and you'll see that Herod had arrested the apostle James and beheaded him. This is James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve. And when Herod saw that this pleased the people, he went and arrested Peter and threw him in prison with the intent of persecuting him and killing him as well. So that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. Herod is self-absorbed. His life is characterized by vanity. He's a persecutor of the church. And we read in verse 20 that Herod had been disputing with the authorities of the cities of Tyre and Sidon. These are two coastal cities located in modern-day Lebanon. This is the Phoenician people. They were uh, merchants. They were explorers. They were colonizers. And they depended for their food supply on Herod's territory. That's where their grain came from. And we don't know all the details of the dispute, but we do know that Herod obviously had the upper hand in the dispute. He's the one who had the grain. He's the one who had the food supply. So the people were prepared to listen to his terms. And the combination of Herod's pompous attitude, the flattery of the people, this did not go well for Herod. You see, the, the problem was not only that Herod thought too often and too highly of himself, but the people also fed his pride, and he allowed them to do it. We need to be on guard. Modern-day Christians oftentimes do the same thing, don't we? We have our super pastors. We have our Christian celebrities. We listen to their sermons. We read their books. We go to their podcasts week after week. And that's not a bad thing, but the risk is that we begin to venerate these people. Now, verse 21 tells us that Herod's clothing, his demeanor, his speech, all communicated self-righteous pride. The Jewish historian Josephus, in his Antiquities, chapter 19, corroborates what we're reading here in Acts 12. He speaks of Herod's robe as an elaborate garment woven of silver thread that when reflecting the light of the sun, dazzled all onlookers. This seems consistent with the narrative of Acts, where Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his royal throne and delivered this eloquent speech. 
He came before the people to dazzle them and to amaze them. His heart was ready to receive praise. Now, does this sound familiar? Think about our current culture, our me culture. I think Herod was born in the wrong century. I think he would have done pretty well here in the 21st century. He would have loved Twitter. He would have loved Instagram. Everyone's an influencer. Everyone's a model. Everyone looks good on the internet. Photoshop, image editing software, the right camera angle, the right lighting can transform the most hideous wildebeest into an absolute smoke show. <laughs> right? We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen it on the internet. In other words, the internet can make anyone look good. And we flaunt this false image. We're masters of hiding behind an image, of putting up a front, of hiding our worst features, our worst qualities, and accenting only what we want people to see. We do it all the time. Young people, you do it at school. The rest of us, we do it at work. We do it at church. Herod worshipped himself, and he wanted others to do the same. And I think we can probably relate to this a little bit. Pride attempts to tell a story that isn't true, a story in which we are God. What story are we telling ourselves? Is it a true story or a false one motivated by pride? Who are we worshiping? Now, in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, we read that those who worship God will worship him in spirit and truth. You know the story. Jesus was passing from the Judean territory to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. This was a territory occupied by people that were considered half Jew, half pagan. And so Jesus stops in a village along the way at a well. There's a woman there drawing water, and he stops to talk with her, and he explains what true worship is, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And this means that by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, we will know the truth of who God is. We will have right belief about God. We will understand who he is, but we will also understand ourselves. We'll be honest about who we are. It's not just truth about God, it's truth about us, truth about the human condition. We'll see his glory, but we'll also recognize our need. We'll come before him with honesty about our dire need, and we'll experience his holiness, his grace, his mercy. Now, the second thing we observe in this text is that misplaced worship destroys us from within. Herod's idolatry was his downfall. Misplaced worship was his downfall. And although it isn't a pleasant, pleasant message, one of the principal themes of this passage is that God judges pride. He judges misplaced worship, whether in this life or in the next. God says in the Ten Commandments, right, the very first commandment, God is the only God. You cannot have other gods. Self-worship, again, destroyed Herod from within. Now, normally, we understand how decomposition works. Bodies decompose in the grave. They decompose beneath the earth. Organic material inevitably festers 
and rots. It's part of the life and death cycle. But here, Herod's body putrefied as it was eaten alive. Self-worship is self-destructive. Herod Agrippa is not remembered for his handsome features. He's not remembered for his alluring attire. He's not remembered, really, for his eloquent discourse. And honestly, we don't even know what he said. We don't have any record of the speech he gave. He is remembered, however, as the guy who was eaten by worms, right? Whenever we worship anything other than God, we're destroyed from within. It eats away at the soul. Misplaced worship, in a way, it's a kind of self-cannibalization. That's gross, I know, but it's true. Now, years ago, there was a spoof made of the Star Wars franchise. And if you've seen Star Wars, you know the character Jabba the Hutt. He looks like a, a large, greasy-looking kind of frog character. And in this spoof of Star Wars, the filmmakers introduced this character known as Pizza the Hutt, who looked very similar to Jabba the Hutt, but he was made out of pizza. Okay, and at one point in the movie, he locks himself in his spaceship, and unable to escape, he eats himself to death because he's delicious. Self-cannibalization, self-worship. Now, for the more sophisticated and cultured among us, I, I see, I can relate to the pizza, the hut thing, but maybe some of you would relate better to the myth of Narcissus in Greek mythology. Narcissus was uh, one of the lesser uh, Greek gods, but you know the story, he sees his reflection in a pool of water, and unable to turn away his gaze, he ultimately pines away and, and, and dies. self Worship, self-cannibalization. It's self-defeating, self-destroying, self-stultifying. Have you noticed that when we worship God, however, we're actually fed spiritually? True worship feeds the body of Christ. We come to church, we sing the praises of God. We take communion. We read his word. These things feed us. It's a good, wholesome thing. This is why when you turn to Psalm 119, verse 103, it says that the word of God is sweeter than honey. It's a nourishing, good thing. Herod's problem is that he turned inward. Now, related to this idea is also the idea that misplaced worship leads us to spiritual blindness. It makes us blind to God. Herod couldn't see the truth. He could not see that peace, hope, salvation, these things are found in God. He blindly persecuted the church because his actions brought him the praise of men. Again, going back to the earlier part of Acts 12, we read that after he, he, he put to death James by beheading him, he saw that the people were pleased by this action, and so he went on to persecute the other apostles. He was looking for the praise of men. And so when we get to Tyre and Sidon and the people are ready to shout the voice of a god, Herod was already ready to receive these words. Now I want you to notice a contrast, another contrast here between the actions of Herod in Acts chapter 12 and the actions of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. Now again, we're not going to read the account in Acts 14. I would encourage you to look at it when you have some time this week. 
But in Acts chapter 14, we find Paul and Barnabas, two apostles of Jesus Christ, on one of their missionary journeys, and they come to the city of Lystra. And while in Lystra, they meet a crippled man. They heal this crippled man. Through the miraculous intervention of God, they're able to heal this man. And as they're healing, they're also preaching the gospel. Now, when the people see the miracle and they hear the words of Paul and Barnabas, they declare that Barnabas must be Zeus and, and Paul, who does, does much of the speaking, must be Hermes, the messenger god of the Greeks. And so they come to bring a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. They want to offer this sacrifice to them. And notice the reaction. Paul and Barnabas tear their robes in agony over the blasphemy of the people. They plead with their would-be worshipers to repent and turn to God in faith. This is a radical contrast with what we see in the behavior of Herod, who gladly accepted the worship of men, blinding himself to his own fallen spiritual condition, his need for God. Now, there's a joke about a man who's standing in an art museum staring at what he thinks is a, a Picasso painting. Are you familiar with Picasso, these kind of distorted-looking figures, these faces? So he's standing in this museum looking at this Picasso painting, not realizing that he's actually looking in a mirror at his own ugly visage. You see, that that's the problem here. Spiritual blindness prevents us from seeing ourselves rightly and seeing God rightly. Spiritual blindness happens when we fail to allow the vertical to inform the horizontal. In other words, we fail to allow our relationship with God to inform our relationship with the world. The year 2020 was a year that forced people to take sides. We all took sides. We took sides over COVID. We took sides over politicians. We took sides over social issues. And then, much to our shame, we worshiped by putting our hope in the kings of the world and putting our hope in vaccines and putting our hope in created things rather than the creator. The year 2020 was a test of what we truly worship. The year 2021 will be a test of what we truly worship. Will we let the vertical inform the horizontal? Will we allow our relationship with God to inform and guide our relationship to this world? Now, we live in a society that's saturated with self-worship. And as we enter this new year, let's remember verse 24. Okay, I've been focusing thus far on the worms and all that stuff, but let's turn to verse 24. This is important. God can redirect those who are self-focused. The word of God increased and multiplied. Herod died, sure, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Self-worship destroyed lives, sure, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Pride makes us fools, but the word of God can increase and multiply in our lives. And how does this happen? Now, I'm not going to tell you to pray more or read your Bible more or go to church more. We get that already. That, that's important stuff. What I will tell you, however, is that we need to let God initiate worship in our lives. 
God initiates worship by virtue of being worthy of worship. It's simply who he is. We need to understand it. As we receive his mercy, as we receive his grace, as we receive his love, our natural response should be worship. It's about a relationship. It's a response. As God's word becomes more central, more influential, more directive and critical and abundant in our lives, our natural response should be worship. The text doesn't tell us to try harder at worship. It tells us to allow God's word to increase and multiply in our lives. It invites us to ask ourselves, where is my God and who is my God? What brings me joy in life? Do I take too much pleasure in my own abilities and talents and capacities and productivity? Are my words and actions formulated with the intent to receive glory for myself? Do I seek the approval of others for self-validation? Am I preoccupied with all that I offer this world while forgetting all that God has done for me? If we do not let God's word spread over us and saturate our lives and humble our hearts and transform our souls, we can't really know what true worship is. True worship happens when we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. True worship can only take place when we humbly bow before the holy, holy, holy God of the universe and confess our sins while acknowledging that Christ alone is worthy of praise. God is the focus. Jesus is the Savior. So as we enter this year, 2021, let's invite God to allow his word to increase and multiply in our lives. Let's affirm with John the Baptist in John 3, I must decrease, he must increase. Let's affirm with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, I count all, everything, as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Let's be true worshipers. Let's point the people in our community to the experience of true worship as well. Let's pray.